The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to talk about stress, a topic that I know everybody is particularly worried about. And in fact, I'm going to say hardly a day goes by in talking with my clients that there isn't some discussion about stress in the workplace. Among my clients, managing workloads, competing demands, multiple bosses, matrix organizations, changes in roles, people leaving are all adding to the stress levels, let alone just the usual day in and day out of managing both home and work. So today we're going to talk about first how to recognize when those stress levels are in the non-productive zone for you, and that implies that they aren't always non-productive. We're going to talk about what to do to recover, and then we're going to talk about how to have more resilience in general so that the demands are indeed less taxing. So with me today is Jen Arnold. Now, Jen is on a mission to change the common organizational approach to employee health and wellness, and Jen believes it's not just the physical health, but also the mind and spirit. And she recently left her corporate job, which was at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, to start her own business and her own podcast called Redesigning Wellness. And to help, she's a registered dietitian as well, and she's led organizational health and wellness efforts and advised employees on how to do this for a long time, based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So, Jen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Wanda. I'm so glad to be here. It's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. I know we can't seem to get enough about managing stress. So, I want to start with this notion of stress And there's been some recent research on this that, you know, we've known for a long time high levels of stress tend to have health problems and sleep problems and a whole bunch of other problems. But is all stress harmful? Actually, no. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, the point I want to make is the only way to grow and the only way to learn is really to get out of your comfort zone. And there's a great illustration of this. It's called the Yerk Yerkes Dotson Law, and it was created back in 1908. And in training, my partner, I call partner, and I call it the pressure performance curve. And what it shows is that we actually have our best performance when we have some stress, when we have some pressure. And you know, the the curve is is kind of like a bell curve, and on the left side is the comfort zone. You know, when you think about being in your comfort zone, kind of knowing what you're doing. You know, you're performing well, but you're not exactly at high performance. And then on the right side of the high performance or, you know, the, the kind of pressure zone, um, it can be strain or it can be anxiety. And the thing is, you know, there's a really thin line between, you know, kind of the, the stress, the pressure, the high performance, and then having too much stress, the, you know, the, the getting uh, overwhelmed or feeling strained. And so, you know, especially for your listeners, they're often taking on new roles where they don't feel comfortable. You know, perhaps it's a a high-profile project. You're not really sure about how to go about it. That obviously takes you out of your comfort zone. And, you know, that can help us excel, right? I mean, you, you get pressure and you go, I can do this. It feels challenging. Maybe you're energized by it. But think about the other stuff that happens with that. And you mentioned some of that in the intro. Uh, maybe there's a reorg that happens, right? That happens all the time in corporate America. Maybe you're reporting to a new boss. You know, think about, you know, maybe you've committed to mentoring younger employees in your organization. Maybe you've volunteered for the PTA. And then all of a sudden, this great challenge that you got that seemed really exciting, this high-profile project, is overwhelming because you have all of these other things 
kind of on you. So that, that's really when your peak performance declines. You're not at high performance anymore. You're actually feeling strained. And so, you know, in in the working world, you know, 36% of workers suffer from work-related stress. And as a result, it costs U.S. businesses $30 billion a year in lost work days. So stress is, yes, some stress is really good for us, but the problem is when it becomes to get too much and you get into that kind of strain zone that, that causes the problem. Yeah, you certainly can see that. So let me just repeat that. 37% of workers have too much stress, and that costs just in the U.S. $30 billion a year in lost days, lost productivity, time away from work. Wow. And I'm right. sure if we added that up on a global scale, it would be even bigger because I don't think this is unique to the U.S. phenomena by any stretch of the imagination. Not so, at all. Actually, Wanda, in fact, that the World Health Organization called stress the health epi- epidemic of the 21st century. So it is worldwide. I love that. The World Health Epidemic. <laughs> Well, it certainly seems that way at all. You know, um, as you were talking about this one, too, uh, Jesse Sostrin, who was on a while ago as a guest, talks about capacity gaps. And he talks about the fact that we have no marginal time left in our lives. And then just the smallest thing happens at work, and there's no capacity to deal with it. And the example that sticks with me is this notion that you're working at maximum pace. You know, you're just barely hanging on. It's okay, and maybe it's on the edge of that anxiety zone, but you're still sort of productive. And you get a new boss. And the new boss now means I have to spend more time in meetings. I have to spend time getting to know them. I have to bring them up on a curve of what I'm doing. And just that marginal bit can't be accounted for anymore, and it can throw you into the anxiety zone. Absolutely. So it's, I do believe we're living, too much of us are living right on the edge of it, me included. All right, now I want to, before we go on to talk about what happens when you're in stress, I want to come back to one piece of research uh, that has been quoted pretty widely, which says that it depends on how you think about stress. That if you think stress is productive, it has less harmful effects. And if you think stress is harmful, it has harmful effects. What's your take on that? Well, I think your mind is such a powerful tool, and I think your outlook on any situation can truly affect the outcome. And I do feel like if you're telling yourself it's a stressful situation, it's high pressure, and you're, it, the self-talk, and we'll talk a lot about uh, mental resilience, the self-talk is huge, right? So we create our own stories in our head, and we're what we call meaning makers. So we can you know, tell ourselves a story. Um, in our head, and we will really believe it because we tell ourselves that over and over and over. And, you know, there's, there's a great book called The Power of Story that talks about that. And we, we do, whatever we tell ourselves is, is truly what can happen to us. So I firmly believe our mental resilience is, is a big component of how we perceive stress. Okay, so mental resilience. We'll come back to that one for sure because this is an important one. All right, before we get too carried away, now let's talk about what actually happens to people. So we've we've gotten from the comfort zone into some levels of stress, which is productivity and performance and kind of rolling along and it's exciting and energizing. We're feeling pretty good about it. When we tip over in the zone where it's too much, what are the warning signs? What starts to happen? Yes, and this is really important because I don't, I'm going to go through some warning signs, but I don't think we're always aware of them. A lot of times, you know, and I'll talk about some stories that I've seen in my employees in the past, um, sometimes we're not always aware of them. Um, but one, you know, let's start in the physical realm, you know, we're changing our healthy routines. Maybe we're, we've dropped our exercise because we just don't have time for it. Um, maybe it's an extra drink at night, right? So an extra glass of wine. Uh, maybe it's eating out of comfort. So you're stress eating or you're not eating enough. Um, You're not sleeping as well. And, again, we'll talk about sleep a little bit later because that's such a huge component of how we feel during the day. Um, Reacting more emotionally than normal, that is a big one. You know, if you're snapping at people, you know, maybe you have a control at work, but you go home and you're snapping at your husband or you're snapping at your kids. Um, You're just not kind of yourself emotionally. Losing mental focus one of those is that you just you can't concentrate. It's hard for you to not think about all the other things you have going on. You can't focus on one project at a, at a time. 
Um, again, it's the stories that we tell ourselves. You know, if you notice yourself saying always or never or these kind of, you know, very um, bold statements, then, then that may be a sign of stress. Um, another one, and I see this, I used to see this a lot in corporate America, is we start kind of seeing ourselves as the center of the universe, right? So we probably all have a coworker or a friend who is really stressed out at work and into that strain zone, and then every time you talk to them, that's all they do is complain about it. They vent, they whine, um, and it just becomes like this the spin cycle. You know, I've seen employees get to where they, they lose a lot of their positivity and some of their positive qualities, and every conversation ends up into a complaining session. It's not productive. You're not being solution-oriented. You're really just wanting to complain about it. Um, you know, in addition, I've seen you know friend, personal friends of mine who are going through a stressful time um, and, and are strained, and, and they rely on sarcasm. So the, everything that they, you know, every response they give is sarcastic. And so their attitude changes towards things. And even if you don't notice, people notice this. I mean, you think about how many people you work with during the workday, how many team projects you're on, you're talking to your boss, you're talking to your employees. People notice this, but sometimes we don't always notice it. Um, so there's, there's quite a few signs of too much stress, and everyone's very individual in what they do. So, for example, for exercise, for me, no, I keep my exercise routine because that helps me um, get through the stress, whereas some people will completely drop it. So it okay. depends on the person, but there are definitely some, some key signs. Okay. And presumably some people will eat too much and some eat too little. I see that in clients. I want to talk, I mean, so I, we all know that we lose our healthy routines. I think we knew that. Maybe we don't. And it's hard to miss the emotional reactions because in some ways it feels to you like it's appropriate to the situation, to the stress levels. But I want to focus in on this notion of losing mental focus. Um, I certainly experienced that personally, and it is a dead giveaway for me when I'm overstressed. I can't seem to settle down. My time is kept spinning from one thing to the next to the next. I can't seem to make a decision. I can't come to a conclusion on anything, and I feel like I'm just inefficient. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think a key you know, thing that can derail you is multitasking, is, is not truly focusing on anything. You're trying to focus on a million different things, as you just said, or maybe your head's just spinning and you can't sit down and focus. So whenever you are stressed out, your focus does suffer. And and think about all the things that you do in your life and all the things your listeners do in their life. You've got to be focused to to, to be productive, right? To be a high performer, you have to stay focused. Um, And I really don't think the corporate environment is set up for focus. You know, when you think about the meetings that you go to constantly are back-to-back, you don't have a lot of downtime, Um, you you don't even have time to check emails, so you save that for nighttime. Um, So it is hard to unwind. And, And I think, you know, the one thing I don't, also want to be lost. We're talking a lot about work today, but there's also a lot of personal pressures that come up. And and I think as much as people like to separate work and life, I I don't think there's any separation, right? There's personal pressures that we face at home that we do bring to work and that adds on to the stress and the strain. So even if, you know, work is that constant going, 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 you can't sit down and focus, you may get home and have that same effect situation. Um, So, you know, we will talk about recovery and what you can do to kind of settle, settle yourselves. Um, but, yes, that mental distraction, that not being able to focus, um, that multitasking is, is truly that, that enemy of high performance. I love that. Let me repeat that for everybody who's listening to this one. Multitasking is the enemy of high performance. It is. And we it's all such believe a belief that we need to do it. it I yeah. mean, it is a belief in corporate America that multitasking is necessary and that people can't get their job done if they don't multitask. When, in fact, I mean, it, you know, everyone knows the. The funny definition is screwing up several things at once, but, you know, your brain cannot process two unrelated tasks at the same time as much as we like to think we, we can. Okay. My favorite one on this one, I love that, screwing up three multiple tasks at the same time, um, is if you're on a conference call, mundane activity, just listening, and you're standing, stirring some a pot of soup or something on the stove, 
everybody on the phone will either know you're not listening or you will burn this something on the stove. There, it, that's just the evidence to me in a simplistic way that you cannot concentrate on two things simultaneously. Okay, so John, you get clear understanding of all the warning signs, things that go wrong, the stuff that we try to do to mask and cover that doesn't work. So what is it that you need to do once you're recognized that you have stretched yourself too far and there's too much stress? Well, there's several tactics I want to talk about throughout the the course of our time. I I think the very first thing people need to do, I'm all about reflection, and I don't think we reflect enough. Um, You know, I have a three-year-old, so I'm very familiar with timeouts, and I feel like as adults, we don't give ourselves enough timeouts to really sit and reflect and take a break. But the first thing I recommend for people is to know your limits. Like, I don't think we sit a lot, we, we don't think about what stretches us. So where are the times that we do feel stretched in a positive way? You know, there's several people that I knew in corporate America that weren't being stretched at all. They were busy. They had a lot of work that they had to do, but they weren't being stretched. Um, So knowing what stretches you, knowing what strains you is also very important. And when we think about strain, you know, it's not just work. It's not just, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of different projects and, you know, then you've got personal stuff on at home. It's also emotionally can wear you down. When you think about, I think you mentioned office politics, um, the emotions that go with dealing with difficult coworkers, those type of things. So sometimes we have to be around people who, that drain our energy. And I think it's important to know that because you need to prepare yourself kind of mentally <laughs> and maybe physically prepare yourself before and after those conversations. But the third thing is really providing what provides you comfort. And this is really getting into comfort or recovery. And this goes along with the timeouts. So when you think about your comfort zone, um, you know, when I was saying the bell curve, it's to the left of that curve. It's that kind of nice space we want to be in. Um, We can kind of mentally unfocus. We feel very comfortable. And so recovery breaks are really key in getting us through the day. And you know, Wanda, for you, is, is there something that comes to mind when you think comfort zone? Like when you're getting in the comfort zone during your busy time, is there anything for you that helps you recover? Oh, for me, it's a walk outside, being outdoors, just a chance to breathe, to stop. It doesn't have to be long. A couple of minutes can be, is a huge impact for me as an example. Oh. Absolutely. And that's one thing that we don't do enough. Like if you think about the average day, no one's taking breaks. Everyone is powering through the workday and they're going, well, I just need to sit here. And if I sit here, I'm definitely going to be more productive. When in fact, the research has shown that employees who take breaks every 90 minutes report a higher level of focus, about a 30% higher level of focus than those that, that don't take breaks. Um, it's also recovery is really good for thinking creatively, and that that is so important in today's world. We have to be creative problem solvers, and if we're not giving ourselves any recovery time or any downtime during the day, you know, and nights and weekends, um, and then that's going to be really tough for us. So one of the key ways that I encourage employees to to get to to manage and thrive through the day is to take recovery breaks. And just like you said, Wanda, it doesn't have to be a long time because let's face it, how much time do you have during the workday, right? You probably just need a two-minute break, a one-minute break. You know, I'd say one-minute minimum throughout the day, every 90 minutes to two hours to recover and get ready for that next, you know, the next meeting, the next event, whatever it is. Um, because you've got to mentally, I guess, mentally prepare yourself, emotionally prepare yourself for that next thing going on. Um, because if you don't give yourself time to recover and you're just plowing through that work day, that stress that can lead to high performance can easily turn into strain. So I think that's the key that people need to realize, that powering through the day, you know, waiting till vacation or waiting till the weekends. You know, I've talked to people who just catch up on their sleep during the weekends and that's how they recover that can ultimately be really negative for you, right? So making sure during the day, throughout the day, that you're planning in little breaks, little recovery breaks every 90 minutes to 120 minutes or two hours. That's amazing. I I mean, I know well what that would do to people if you you would stop for two minutes 
would be fine. One minute, two minutes, every hour and a half to two hours. But people sort of feel like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's so urgent. And the critical thing is to break that habit, Mm -hmm. that habit in thinking, and understand that you will move faster through it if you take that moment to break. Okay, easier said for some people than done. All right, Jen, we're going to take a break at this point. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this whole notion of recovery and what else we can do to manage the stress. So with me today is Jen Arnold. Jen is um, on a mission to help organizations improve employee health and wellness. And she's a registered dietitian as well as now running her own business and podcast called Redesigning Wellness. And we'll be right back and talk more about recovery and how to do it. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Jen Arnold. Jen is on a mission to change the common organizational approach to employee health and wellness. She's a registered dietitian, has worked in corporate uh, organizations helping launch organizational health and wellness efforts, and she has left her corporate world to start her own business and podcast called Redesigning Wellness. We've just been talking about the notion that stress is not always a bad thing. In fact, some stress actually leads to great performance and to growth and to get out of your comfort zone. And those are all very good things or can be. But the moment that you begin to tip over into the too much stress, into the anxiety zone, are where bad things start to happen. Now, what drives you into that anxiety zone is partly your own thinking, but it's also other things that happen in the environment. And we were just talking about the warning signs. Um, In particular, this notion that you lose concentration and lose focus, as well as stop healthy habits and a whole bunch of other things. And that one of the secrets to managing through some of the stress level is about recovery. And Jen was just describing that one of the big things for recovery is a break, one to two minutes, something that's relaxing, de-stressing for you. Every 90 to 120 minutes, every hour and a half to two hours, one to two minutes will make you far more productive. Okay, so Jen, do you have any other tips about recovery and taking recovery time and how to do that? Yeah, so I want to reiterate the point about recovery is not just on nights, weekends, and vacation. It's really throughout the day. So although you do them nights, weekends, and vacation, you also need to do them, like you just mentioned, throughout the day. I think uh, one particular time you need to pay attention to recovery is a transition between work and home. Um, Many of us bring work home with us you know, either mentally or emotionally, and then we end up mentally distracted when we're with the ones that we love the most. Um, You know, just to tell you a small story, uh, my dad worked at the same company for 35 years, and after grad school, I lived with him for a little while, and he was in his last five years at the same company. He was going to kind of stick it out to retirement, but he really did not like his job. 
didn't like his boss. And so every night he'd come home, he'd have a drink, and he'd complain to whoever would listen about his day and his boss. So when you think about the energy you're bringing home from the day, you know, it's not positive, and then you're, again, affecting your loved ones with your negative energy. So you find out what works for you in the transition home. You know, there was someone I know who used to listen to talk radio every night on his way home. He'd get home to his wife and just start talking to her about all the things he heard on talk radio. So he wasn't having his recovery on his way home. So I think is for recovery to be effective, it has to work for you. And one of the things I really recommend for people to do is when they're not stressed, when they're having a moment, a timeout for them, and it's really important, is being intentional about um, having a list of maybe five things that they can easily do to recover during the workday and after the workday. I think, you know, they, they have to be realistic. So you can't say, I mean, I'm going to go take a 30-minute nap. That's not really realistic. Or get a massage. Um, but maybe it's just like you just said, a one- to two-minute walk. Uh, one of the folks that I've trained was talking about she's a, she was a salesperson, and before a difficult sales call, she would have – she has like aromatherapy scents in front of her, and she would just give herself a minute to inhale the scent and get in a better mood. And that was her, her way to recover before she went into a difficult sales call. So, you know – can be a quick walk, listening to a favorite song, putting on music maybe instead of news. Um, it could be as easy as looking at pictures of loved ones on your phone. Um, Humor is really good. Like even if you see people f- scrolling through Facebook, there may be some really funny stuff on there that helps them recover and relax. Um, texting a loved one, being grateful. There's, there's many things, but you have to find that what's, what's going to work for you. So if someone's going to tell you you have to meditate, and that's not something that you're going to do, don't put it on your list. Um, So I think it's very individualized, but I I, I do stress the importance of sitting down because it really only takes five minutes to brainstorm five ideas on how you can recover. So now, Jen, why is it important to have more than one or two ideas of how you recover? So today in today in Raleigh, it's raining. So if my only one was, I'm going to take a quick walk and it's raining, there goes that, right? And so if you only have one idea, a lot of people are like, well, it's raining, I can't do it. And then it's an excuse not to do something else. And also when you're stressed, you know, one of the things that we just talked about is you're not focused. You're not able to concentrate. You're not able to be creative. So how are you going to come up with creative ideas to recover when you're feeling stressed and strained? It's just not going to work. So that's why I always recommend more than one, more than two, usually about four to five. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, too. I can imagine some of them get old and they start to be, here I am doing this again, and that's irritating me even more. Um, (laughs) I want to come back to the point you made about having recovery time between work and home, and I want to do this by way of a story of a colleague. Um, So there are two, in this particular case, men working in an organization side-by-side through an enormously difficult situation. process in the organization as in will the organization survive and will people still have jobs at the end of it one lives a two-minute walk away from the office and one has a 45-minute train ride to get home the stress levels between the two of them both of them have great coping skills in general but the one that lives so close just suffered badly from the stress. And part of that was the five-minute walk home wasn't enough to decompress. It wasn't enough time to sort of process what you need to think about from the day and let it go and do something else, like read a paper or listen to music. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Do you have any yeah. tips for making recovery effective? What was that question? Do you have other tips for making recovery effective? I mean, I think it depends on the, the – I think if you've found – if you've tried some recovery breaks and maybe five minutes isn't enough to kind of shake off the day because it's, when they're undergoing that kind of serious situation um, at work, it may take longer than five minutes, and that's understandable. Um, one thing can be if your commute home isn't enough to shake off, you know, the, the, the emotional – um, constraints that, the, that your work's bringing, you could get home and say, hey, I just need a minute. 
I need 10 minutes to go decompress and I'll be right back and I'll fully focus on you. Um, because I think a lot of times when we get home from work, you know, having, you know, having a child, having a husband myself, they all come at you and want to hear about your day. And you, you're not always ready for people to come at you and ask you a bunch of questions. So it can be a conversation you have with your loved ones to say, hey, look, I need a few minutes, and you, maybe you need 30 minutes, maybe you need 20 minutes, or maybe you need to come home and go for a run, whatever that is, to get extra time. Because ultimately, when you get home and people are coming at you and you're not ready for that, you're not going to engage with them anyway. Um, you could sit in the driveway if you needed in your car for an extra 20 minutes instead of going into the house if you feel like that's too difficult. Um, so it's all relative to, A, what is going to be the most effective for you in the way of uh, recovery, and then the time is going to matter, too. So for that person, five minutes wasn't enough. So how can he get a little extra downtime before he gets home? And that may be an agreement with his spouse that he goes to the gym right after work or, you know, something else. Um, but, yeah, that is definitely one way to, to sit down and think, hey, and reflect five minutes is enough. What else could work? And you need that time, that downtime to really think about all the other solutions, which is hard to do when you're not feeling um, in the comfort zone at all. So I like this notion that we spend a little bit of reflection time and get a list of five things I could do in a very short period of time that are going to allow me to get a, a mental, emotional, physical break and allow for some recovery so I can kind of rebalance, be more effective, be more focused. One to two minutes Every hour, hour and a half during the day is ideal. And also to think about this transition between the end of the day and coming home. And what do you need to let go of the day, settle the day, and then be ready to focus with the loved ones at home? Um, I know I've advised people that if it, it is you haven't had enough time in the drive home, then drive around the block a couple times until you can, you're mm-hmm. ready then to whatever it is that lets you walk in the door and be most effective with your family or loved ones. And I All think, right. Wanda, the, the point to your spouse, if you're ever having difficulty kind of getting that time for them and you're hearing, well, you've been gone all day, I mean, it's really making the point of it's not the time I'm bringing to you, it's the energy. So if you're going there and spending two hours, you know, maybe mindlessly in front of the TV just zoning out, I'm sure they'd rather have you for an hour fully focused than have you for two hours, you know, bringing your emotional and mental baggage from work. So I think that is a, a good point to make to a spouse if you're having trouble getting that time. Right. It's also true for kids. You know, you feel like you don't see the kids, but you mm-hmm. especially don't see them if you even sit at the dinner table and you're not thinking about them hearing them because you're thinking about something else. Yeah. All right. So let's shift gears and talk about this whole concept of resilience and how does resilience play into this notion of recovery? Well, first off, what is resilience anyway? Okay. So resilience is definitely a big buzzword right now, um, and recovery is just a very small piece of that. We didn't. It, hopefully, we can delve into a few more um, dimensions of resilience. But you know, how I like to define it is an acquired ability to intentionally intentionally recover from challenges. So a lot of people, you know, describe resilience as bounce back, and a lot of times you think of it as from a big tragedy, right? Something that you know happens to you that's just you know a death in the family or something major. But we have all of these challenges throughout the day, throughout the year, throughout our life. They can be positive, like the birth of a child or moving or, you know, getting a new job. Um, But they can also be some of the things that we've already discussed, you know, the reorgs, the new bosses, those type things. Um, And it is very intentional. But, But ultimately, resilient skills, they give you the ability to thrive when you're, when you, when stress is kind of trying to knock you off balance. So it's really, it's a skill set and it can be acquired because the research today shows that it's not necessarily something you're born with, although people are born more resilient, but people can gain resilient skills no matter their age. So it's acquired and that's why it's so important for organizations to understand the importance of having resilient employees, the importance of um, being a resilient organization. Wow. All right, I like that one, but let's focus first on, I like this notion that it's uh, acquired, and I agree there's a lot of research that says it can be. Help me understand what the skills are that are involved, because you said recovery is just a small piece of resilience. What else is involved? So when you think about resilience, it's really different, it's dimensional. We, um, you know, if we if we start with kind of the most um, 
that the highest one, if you will, is your spiritual dimension of resilience. So it's maybe some people call it your mission or your purpose. It's having a higher sense of being. So it doesn't have to be a religious thing at all, but it just has to be that you're connected to something that's kind of bigger than yourself. Um, And I think that really helps whenever you're undergoing a lot of stress and strain um, because whenever that happens, we tend to see ourselves as the center of the universe. You know, if this doesn't work out, then all things are going to end. But when people are aligned with their purpose, aligned with their mission, aligned with their values and feel that they're kind of not alone in the universe, then the stressful events are easier to take. You can, again, thrive through some of the stress because you have kind of these guiding principles, if you will. So spiritual is one of them. Does that make sense? That makes a ton of sense. And it's certainly when I talk to senior leaders who are really pretty good at kind of just letting things come in their stride and do amazing things, they often talk about this, it's not that big of an issue. Whatever it is, isn't that big. And for them, it's a matter of understanding what is really critical, what really are the values, what are really the drivers, what are the things if they go, if that is messed up, then, you know, life isn't worth it. And mm-hmm. it helps you see the day-to-day in not as big of a deal. Right, right, which, which you know, I think we all at some point have to laugh at ourselves or our situation. Yep. Um, humor is a good, good coping mechanism for a lot of people. Um, and I think organizations that have strong senses of purpose and vision are more resilient organizations in themselves. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, we don't always think a lot of what, what we value and what's really important to us. And, and I feel like that's another timeout we can have as we're making career decisions, as we're looking at how we treat people within our organization and outside of our organization. You know, so if you think that creative, being creative and being, you know, having some freedom in your life are very important values that you need, that the next time someone's coming to you with a job offer, you can say, hey, does this job offer align with my values? Or if your values are that you want to really focus on your children, then that's really important to know or that you want to be a great mentor to younger executives. I think it's really important to understand your guiding principles because that can really help you be resilient overall. Okay. Okay. All right. Fabulous. Okay. So quickly, one dimension of resilience is the spiritual dimension. What's the second one? And we may have to pick that up after the break, but just give us the second one. Sure. Again, is that, that mental resilience so that, you know, focusing, not multitasking. <laughs> if I could just get people to take away one thing is the multitasking is the enemy of high performance. Um, but also with your mental dimension is that story that we tell ourselves that I mentioned earlier. Um, in addition, doing work you like and that challenges you. I think those are all components of the mental dimension, and we tend to use our mind a lot at work, right? I mean, that's something that we always do. Yep. Um, but if you listen to that, that, what we call private voice in your head going on and on, is that tape um, positive? Is it your cheerleader, or is it someone trying to knock you down? So how, how, how much are you your own cheerleader versus kind of harming yourself mentally? Um, and then, again, I mentioned earlier that a lot of people are doing work they don't really like, they're not challenged by. Um, so you're really not – it's going to be hard to be mentally resilient when you're just kind of going ho-hum throughout the day. Um, so mental focus, um, the stories we tell ourselves and doing challenging work are all part of the, the mental dimension. Okay. All right, so we're going to take a break again. With me today is Jen Arnold. We've been talking in this particular segment about a few, little bit more about recovery, but particularly about resilience, and that resilience is the acquired ability to intentionally recover from challenges. We've talked about three components of one is this recovery, finding time throughout the day to recover. Two is the spiritual dimension, being connected to a purpose or sense of being that's higher than just yourself, not just you. Values is a part of that one. And three is the mental resilience, the ability to focus, not multitask, and the voice that's in our head, whether it's a positive cheerleader voice or where it's a negative cynic critic voice. We're going to be right back. When we come back, I'll ask Jen about the other components of resilience and more importantly, how we increase those over time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. 
If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Jen Arnold. We've been talking about stress and resilience. Jen's company, for the record, is Redesigning Wellness, and she used to be in the corporate job at Blue Cross and Blue Shield most recently, helping organizations create health and wellness efforts. Now, we've been talking about in this last segment that resilience is an uh, the acquired ability, so definitely learnable skill to intentionally recover from challenges and that there are a couple of components of resilience. One is recovery, that ability to take time throughout the day, not just the weekend and the evening, to recover. And the advice is a couple of minutes at least every hour and a half to two hours. We've also talked about resilience having um, a spiritual component, not necessarily religious, but spiritual, so that there's a purpose, a set of values, something higher than yourself. And two, that there's a mental resilience, that it's about the stories that you tell yourself, it's about the voice in your head, it's your ability to focus, not multitask, and it's doing work you like and that you're challenged by. All right, so Jen, what are the last two components of resilience? Okay. The um, other one is uh, the emotional dimension. And it's really where do we reside during our day? Uh, you know, is it more in the negative emotions like angry, frustrated, defensive, impatient, which sometimes you can see in things like meetings or conversations with coworkers? Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't get to this end, but it's more depressed, sad, and hopeless. So they're either high positive, you know, high negative emotions or low negative emotions, but either way negative. Uh, or are you mostly challenged, energized, excited by the work that you're doing? And I think it's just important to, again, reflect on your emotions over the day because um, we don't always notice it when we're in the thick of things. Um, but oftentimes, you know, again, people are noticing how you're treating them, and that's really important. Um, we may not be acknowledging or thanking people for contributions, so you may not be building the bridges uh, of relationships across the um, organization either. And, and emotions run high in, in, uh, in the workplace. So that's definitely something to think about is your uh, emotional resilience. I like that one too. And to, you know, Barbara Fredrickson's research is going to say that if I've got more positives than negatives, I'm kind of at optimal performance, um, optimal creativity, optimal all sorts of stuff that is just really, really positive. So I like that notion that you stop to take a sense of what are the emotions I'm experiencing in the course of the day and how strongly are they positive or how strongly are they negative? Okay, cool. Yeah, and I think the point, the quick point I want to make too is it doesn't necessarily mean you're Pollyanna, like you're happy about everything and you're not seeing reality. It just means that you're hopeful for the future, you're optimistic, you know, things are going well. So it doesn't have to be like this positive perky person all the time okay in fact that sometimes backfires in bad ways all right so that's the emotional dimension this what's the last dimension of resilience Okay, the last one's physical, and this really has three different components to the physical dimension. Um, One is exercise, one is nutrition, and one is sleep. So quickly to go through exercise, it doesn't have to be that you are going to a Zumba class or going running, all of those are good things, but it, it is getting up off your butt every 90 minutes to two hours. So it's just standing up. It's taking a quick walk. Um, There's so much research now on sitting being the new smoking and how bad it is for us to sit all day, but yet that's all we do. Uh, In fact, I was in a seven-hour meeting yesterday with probably about four breaks in it. Um, We don't get up enough. Um, So from the physical stance, just just making sure you're 
standing up, waking up your brain, if you will, and getting the blood flowing. Um, from a nutrition angle, which is you know my, my background, um, it's eating regular meals and snacks. It's trying to keep your glucose under control, meaning not eating too much, but also not skipping meals and trying to eat probably every four, maybe five hours if you're stretching it. Um, and commonly I see people eat lunch, maybe a big lunch. They don't eat anything until dinner time, and then they go eat this giant meal and then sit around and ultimately go to sleep. Um, so nutrition is really about keeping keeping the right amount of food into your system. And then finally, sleep. Uh, sleep is so key, but yet it's one of the first things to go when we're busy. You know, think about all the technology that we have today. People are checking emails at night. Um, there's so much technology invading our sleep, and um, getting seven to eight hours is so key for the things that we talked about before, concentration, um, memory storage. Um, it, it affects your um, hunger and your appetite hormones. So, again, sleep has a host of uh, research behind it now about how important it is to get seven to eight hours of sleep. And so that's the physical dimension, and the, really the importance of that is kind of the traditional you know, rest, eat, and eat well, and, and get some exercise. But when you think about it, that physical dimension fuels these other components of resilience. You're not going to be happy and energetic and optimized and challenged when you're starving or when you're sleepy. So I like to call the physical dimension kind of your support staff. It helps you be more resilient because you have more capacity to be. Okay. All right, so you're right. A lot of people let sleep go, and a lot of people think that they've trained their body, and a lot of people will say, well, I don't need much sleep. So we get all of those excuses in there, and, yeah, there is some variation. So do you have any advice for somebody who's having a hard time sleeping? Yes, I actually do have a podcast where I talk to a sleep expert all about sleep. Um, Well, one of the key things is turning off technology at a certain time, and usually that is like a 7 or 8 o'clock time frame. Um, I think, number one, it's prioritizing it because I think what happens is, especially if you're a working parent, you finally finally put the kids to bed and then it's your time, and so you end up getting on social media or maybe you're watching TV or maybe you're cleaning or maybe you're working again. So it's how can you create a bedtime routine for you, same as you probably would for your kids, to turn off the TV, to spend some time relaxing, and then going to bed. Um, So... Again, turning off technology, reading helps for a lot of people. Some people, when their mind's going, it's best to get up and get get away from the bed, go read somewhere else. Um, there's great sleep apps that you can use to, to use them as like a guided meditation, which is something I use when I can't sleep and when my head's just you know kind of running. But um, ultimately, it's prioritizing. I think we know a lot of what we need to do. I think it's also when you're not getting sleep, notice your emotions the next day. It's really hard to be positive emotionally when you don't have enough sleep. So I think a lot comes down to saying sleep is important to me. I'm going to make it a priority, and here are the things I need to do. It's very interesting. And if you do think about this from an emotional intelligence point of view, we know how critical that is to get other people to work for you, to have better influence or reduce the stress load, all that jazz. But if your emotions are all negative because this resilience part isn't working very well, you're going to have a huge time influencing, persuading, getting other people to help, getting their input, all those kind of things. So it really does all come full circle. Mm-hmm, okay. So, Jen, nutrition, I know this is your specialty. I have to get you to say just a couple of words about this. And you said that you want to eat regular meals, not huge, massive meals, but you want to keep your glucose under control. Any other advice? I like to really focus on something called the hunger satiety scale to where we monitor how hungry we are and then we monitor how full we are. I think we're very out of tune with our hunger and fullness cues. And so I'd say the first thing that I typically always, when I used to do individual nutrition counseling, first thing is people don't eat breakfast and you're setting yourself up uh, for failure throughout the day if you are going um, going really high demands in the morning and you're not eating breakfast. Uh, It's also aligning when you need your energy with your food. So eating your meals when you need the energy. So when I just talked about 
nighttime, you typically don't need as much energy at night if you're not working out or something like that because typically we go home and we sit around, maybe watch TV, maybe read. Um, but yet that's when our biggest meal happens. Um, so I think it's you know, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, watching how full you get, paying attention, and there's a great – all you have to do is Google hunger satiety scale, and there's a, a scale you can take um, that – it correlates a number with your fullness. Um, so making sure you don't get too hungry because we all know what happens when we get too hungry. We eat way too much. Um, and then not letting ourselves get too full seems very simple, but we are so out of touch with those cues. Um, so three meals and typically one to two snacks are what I recommend. Okay, fabulous. All right, so we're almost out of time here, Jen. Any one last piece of advice for people trying to get the stress under control and be resilient? Oh, one tough. That is tough. I, I think from a, a personal perspective, I think, you know, determine what you can control and what you can't control. So we all know there's things outside of our control. Um, and if you can't control a situation, you can control your reaction to it. I mean, everyone knows that, but it, you know, that's a part of emotional intelligence, of course. Um and I think it's just sitting back and reflecting and figuring out what's important to you. So if you've heard something that's going, yeah, I have a gap in that area, then I'd say focus on that one area. But if anyone you know, comes out of the trainings we do and they say, I'm going to work on all five things, that's too much. Just figure out what's really key to you and prioritize it. So if it's sleep, then work on that one thing. Um, but I, I really believe that being more resilient can help you in your workday, it can help you be a high performer, and it can help you also build relationships not only within your organization but also with your family and your friends and your loved ones. Fabulous. Jen, excellent. I think the thing, a couple things that stand out for me today on the show, one is your statement that multitasking is the enemy of high performance. And I love this notion of reminding us all how important recovery time is throughout the day to help us be able to manage the stress that we have coming and going in our lives. So again, to remind people that something every 90 minutes to two hours where you get up, stand up, move around, do something that for you is re-energizing and refocusing, whatever that is. I also like this notion that resilience is an intentional, it's acquired and an intentional ability to recover from challenges. And they've talked about the components of it. Recovery time is one of them, the spiritual component, the mental component, the emotional component, and most lastly, the physical component. And I love this thing, one thing, just focus on one thing, make that better and the rest will be okay. So Jen Arnold is my guest today. She's had a corporate career in helping organizations do health and wellness efforts, and she now has her own business and her own podcast, Redesigning Wellness. Jen, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much, Wanda. Take care. It's my pleasure. Join us next week. We're going to be talking with Rob Ferguson about conflict. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.